So much about nuclear does not make sense that there is no simple way to wrap one's head around it. And that's why, when you hear pro-nuclear forces pushing their agenda as so-called clean, green, and sustainable, and watch governments on every level falling for their nonsense and throwing piles of money at the nuclear industry, you know that you have gone through the looking glass, down the rabbit hole, and into the alt-universe that keeps on heating up the seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I am the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we look back on 2018 through the lens of our most popular feature, Numbnuts of the Week. We'll take a stroll through the places where the industry has made boneheaded moves, tone-deaf decisions, exposed downright stupidity, as well as malign intent, and all levels of government careen away from sanity as they try to convince us that nukes are good when they most definitely are not. Today is Tuesday, January 1st, 2019, and here is the Nuclear Hot Seat year-end special, Numbnuts of the Year. First, it would not be Nuclear Hot Seat without this week's... Nuclear Hot Seat, Nuclear Hot Seat, Nuclear Hot Seat, Numbnuts of the Week! Well, Happy New Year from the U.S. Strategic Command, which, under the handle U.S. underline Stratcom, tweeted out... Times Square tradition rings in the new year by dropping the big ball. If ever needed, we are ready to drop something much, much bigger. Watch to the end! And included a video of U.S. bombers dropping bombs. Needless to say, this PR nightmare was quickly taken down, though not without many screenshots having been taken. U.S. Stratcom then followed with a tweet that said, Our previous NYE New Year's Eve tweet was in poor taste and does not reflect our values. We apologize. We are dedicated to the security of America and allies. And then quickly followed that with official Twitter account of U.S. Strategic Command. Peace is our profession. Uh, no, guys. War is your profession. And you will take every last mother of us out if we try to contradict you. This bracingly honest expose of the true attitude of our military, the first tweet, not the second one, qualifies this as 2019's first nuclear hot seat, numbnuts of the week. But that's just this week's numbnuts. We've had a full year of them. Admittedly, the line between regular news stories dealing with nuclear issues and numbnuts is often just a matter of how crazy a week was. 
The whole nuclear industry is an exercise in state-sanctioned insanity, supported by government, the media, academia, and an army of PR pros paid millions to keep the fictions running. After all, there's money at stake, enormous amounts of it, and those who benefit from the financial flow are loath to let a little matter of health, safety, the genetic future of the human race, stop them from cashing their checks. Understand that my choices for numbnuts of the week are arbitrary. Though some weeks, something so insane happens that even mainstream media picks up on it, like that boneheaded U.S. Strategic Command tweet we started with. Having said that, let's get on with the nuclear numbnuts year in review. We'll start with last January's notable nuclear wake-up call for Hawaii, when an incoming missile from North Korea, this is not a drill, warning, was disseminated on all emergency channels, social media, and broadcast stations. And it was not rescinded for 38 minutes, long enough for residents of that state to experience panic attacks, heart attacks, and the start of post-traumatic stress. Fortunately, there was no nuclear attack. It was just that old nuclear bugaboo, human error. Someone hitting the wrong line on a pull-down menu, the one that warned of an incoming attack but did not include, this is just a test. But that wasn't the only numnutsery at Hawaii's Emergency Management Agency. As I got to point out the week after the false alarm, a nuclear hot seat 344 from January 23, 2018. In the wake of Hawaii's terrifying false alarm on January 13, where the state citizens spent 38 minutes convinced that North Korea was about to land a nuclear weapon on them any second, there have been a lot of tales of hackers, false flags, Trojan horses, and conspiracy theories floated to explain how this happened. After careful examination of all the facts that I can identify as facts, I believe it was something far more terrifying. Gross government incompetence, bad management, lackadaisical attitudes, and antiquated computer pull-down menus. And the ultimate numbnuts in all of this? An Associated Press photo from last July recently surfaced on Twitter. It shows the Hawaiian Emergency Management Agency's operations officer proudly posing in front of computer screens, one of which has a post-it on it that is clearly labeled password with the visible password underneath. So if this was a conspiracy, it was a long-standing one to keep the gross negligence, incompetence, and stupidity of that agency hidden from any kind of authority. Busted! And that's why, hi, Ema, Hawaiian Emergency Management Agency, you are so this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that's out of the week. We'll cut down on the jingle from here on out. Mainstream media loved to track down notable people who had nothing to do with nuclear so that they could, of course, weigh in with their pro-nuclear opinions as though they were legitimate news sources. Here are two. First, we hear from an old warhorse who just can't seem to live without promoting annihilation of the masses. From Nuclear Hot Seat number 346 and February 6th of 2018. This is evil numbnuts. Henry Kissinger. 
that old warmongering warhorse who was Secretary of State under President Richard Nixon and the mastermind behind the secret bombing of Cambodia during the Vietnam War, as well as several other massacres, has weighed in on the current political climate to declare that a nuclear first strike against North Korea is tempting. That's the word he used, tempting. Tempting? Dude, when you're watching your weight because of the clogged arteries in your heart, a fine French pastry for dessert is tempting. Spending too much money on some inessential luxury that catches your eye is tempting. But incinerating a country and its people with a nuclear first strike is something you find tempting? At what devil do you still worship? This 94-year-old icon of awfulness warns, warns, that the U.S. must now choose between preemptive military action or increasingly tighter sanctions. And we all know that sanctions are much less fun than the big bang and fireball you get from lobbying nuclear weapons on the country of Kim Jong-un. In an interview in the U.K.'s Daily Mail, Kissinger said that the temptation to launch a preemptive strike on North Korea, quote, is strong and the argument rational. Who the hell is this man, this war criminal, to call the decision to commit nuclear war rational? The article also stated that there are fears that Kim Jong-un is plotting a major military parade on February 8th the day before South Korea holds the opening ceremony for its Winter Olympic Games. Ooh, parade. Scary. There could be clowns in the parade. No, wait, that's just Kissinger and the current administration he's aiding and abetting down the path to a nuclear endgame. There's so much more that could be said about this, but one major question remains. Why are we still even listening to or talking about or to Henry Kissinger as having credibility as anything other than a decrepit old man whose only joy in life seems to be in watching others die before he does? If his temptations are followed through on, we may all be signing off together because you just know damn well that Kim Jong-un will not face nuclear Armageddon alone. He will do his best to take the rest of us with him. And that's why Henry Kissinger, lover of death with blood on your hands, you and your temptation to commit nuclear war are this week's None That's Out of the Week! Religious so-called leaders, who are really just the incompetent offspring of other religious leaders, also pushed their way to have their nuclear say. Nuclear Hot Seat 352 from March 20th. The late evangelist Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Lotz, has said that God will punish America's immorality with a nuclear strike because we deserve it. Isn't that special? Lotz says she believes severe judgment is coming and has partly begun. And I'm talking about something like a nuclear strike, something major that would be a game changer for America because we are so defiant and rebellious and idolatrous and immoral and we know better. You know, evangelicals want the world to end. 
rather than be disappointed in their expectation of it happening. But lady, you can keep the ultimate justification of your lives and your beliefs away from anything that's going to end the rest of our lives. And whatever happened to Christian charity, love, turn the other cheek, thou shalt not kill. So if you want some nuclear revenge, why don't you just go build yourself a nice little resort home on the Hanford Reservation or in North St. Louis or close to Three Mile Island? Because with you calling for a nuclear strike just as a wee little bit of revenge on just the sinners, you are genuinely and certifiably this week's None Nuts of the Week. Japan has a vested interest in indulging in nuclear numnutsery. Not only is the wreckage of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear reactors still continuing to leak radioactive water into the ocean, but the contamination of the surrounding towns, mountains, and even areas at great distance from the site of this ongoing disaster, like Tokyo, are impossible to clean up. Thus, it's no surprise that Japan dominated last year's Numnuts of the Week and has been working overtime to normalize the world's perception of Fukushima as being safe because, you know, the radioactive Tokyo Olympics in 2020? One major battlefield is food. Japan doesn't like it when a country takes a stand against Fukushima food products. This from Nuclear Hot Seat number 356 on April 17. WTO WTF! The World Trade Organization has issued a ruling accusing South Korea of violating trade regulations by banning imports of seafood from Japan's Fukushima prefecture ever since the triple meltdown in 2011. Japan filed a complaint with the World Trade Organization against South Korea in 2015, claiming the ban was not based on scientific grounds. But when faced with South Korea's desire for scientific grounds, meaning they wanted to require all Japanese exporters of marine products to submit certificates of inspection if small amounts of radioactive cesium or iodine are detected. When South Korea did that, Japan balked at the testing, calling this demand an effective barrier to fair trade. How about reframing it as an effective barrier to possibly importing radiologically contaminated seafood into a country that does not want it. On February 22nd of this year, the WTO's Kangaroo Court uh, Dispute Settlement Panel said South Korea's ban was, quote, inconsistent with the global trade body's rules against arbitrarily or unjustifiably discriminating against another country and recommended that South Korea take corrective action meaning do it their way, and remove the ban. Now, South Korea's government has appealed that ruling. A government spokesperson said on Monday, April 16, the nuclear fallout persists in Japan, and it's our job to make sure the food Koreans eat is safe. The nerve! South Koreans are not pretending. They actually want to make certain the food is really, genuinely safe. That's what Japan is pushing back against. Anything that impugns their smoke and mirrors of safety leading up to the 2020 radioactive Tokyo Olympics. And that's why World Trade Organization and your attempt to impose Japan's radioactive will upon the right-minded food protective actions of South Korea, you 
are this week's Num Nuts of the Week. Two weeks later, Num Nuts had this update. Well, nothing grinds more quickly than the wheels of the world in trying to protect Japan as the 2020 Olympics are going to be upon us in a year and a half. Because, yep, you got it, the World Trade Organization says, no, you're going to sit there, you're going to import your irradiated seafood from Fukushima and seven adjacent prefectures, and you're not leaving the table until you do. Now the question becomes, is there going to be round three in these negotiations? As South Korea, now becoming a highly praised peacemaker in the world for its recent negotiations with North Korea, is going to stand for Japan saying you must buy what you believe is radiation-tainted seafood. Japan just won't let it go. And that's why Government of Japan, World Trade Organization, you guys are once again this week's None That's Out of the Week. Then there's the propaganda positioning Fukushima food as mm-mm good. Three numnuts illustrate that point. The first from episode 384 on February 20th. Fukushima Prefecture is once again harvesting and shipping green laver seaweed as a food product. You may be familiar with them as those very thin, salty, crisp squares of seaweed that health-minded people eat instead of potato chips. But the test farming area is only 10 kilometers, 6 miles, from the Fukushima meltdown site. This is where 300 to 400 tons of radioactive water still pours through the reactor and into the Pacific Ocean every day. Now, an article in Japan Times cited officials as having said the seaweed had radiation levels far below the safety limit. What they failed to take into account is that there is no safe limit on the amount of radiation a person can be exposed to, and especially if it is internal radiation, which is what you get if you eat the little buggers. According to a National Research Council report released in 2005, any exposure to radiation could lead to cell damage and subsequent cancer. That's an awful lot to deliver for a 99-cent snack. Bet you can't survive just one. And that's why whoever the officials are who are behind this unlabeled for place of origin, potentially radioactive snack, you are this week's None Nuts of the Week. How about some self-cooking rice with that seaweed? Episode 383 from October 23rd. In Japan, rice balls are a popular fast food especially those made by the Honoria rice ball chain. And what is the secret to their success? Rice grown in Fukushima! That's right, it's chosen for its soft texture, delicious touch of sweetness, with just the tiniest hint of, is that cesium-134 or strontium-90? Now, executives of the chain of 13 stores claim that the blanket radiation checks conducted on Fukushima-grown rice prove that the product is safe. But immediately after the Fukushima disaster began in 2011, Japan raised the amount of allowable radiation in food to 100 becquerels per kilogram. In some cases, to make the bags of rice pass inspection, Radioactive rice from Fukushima was mixed with non-radioactive rice from elsewhere. 
the combination dropping radiation levels in the bag to below the 100 becquerels per kilogram limit. Really sneaky. Now, is that the case here? There is no way to tell. But for those who say there are no ill effects from eating Fukushima food, remember that we're not talking about a sudden case of indigestion after a snack. Internal radiation dose is more dangerous than external. Cancers and other illnesses can take 10, 20, 30 years or more to show up. Cause and effect may be separated by time, but there is still a direct connection. So are you still planning to attend the radioactive Tokyo Olympics in 2020? And while there, are you planning to nosh on Honoria rice balls? Then you and the parent company of Honoria, J.R. East Food Business Company, are this week's None Nuts of the Week. Food is also a perfect propaganda medium, when placed correctly. This, from December 18, episode 391. Japan's Olympics minister says he hopes Fukushima Prefecture can host preliminary rounds of baseball and softball at the 2020 Tokyo No Olympics Games. Yes, that's right. Let's expose all the international elite athletes, all of them young and currently in excellent health, to untold amounts of radiation in the soil, the dust, the air, the pollen, the food, and the water. As though that announcement wasn't brain-dead and tone-deaf enough, Minister Toshiaki Endo made his comments on Friday, March 11, the fifth anniversary of the magnitude 9.0 earthquake, followed by the tsunami, all of which worked together to destroy three nuclear reactors at Fukushima Daiichi that went into meltdown and started the process of poisoning the earth in a way that's never going to stop. Same countries around the world that care about the health of their elite young athletes are already considering a total boycott of the Games, as are any tourists who care about their longevity and the ability of their chromosomes to reproduce unmutated offspring. Meanwhile, other prefectures in the Fukushima region are already set to host games at the Rugby World Cup in 2019 and first-round soccer matches in the 2020 No Olympics. As is said at the end of the movie Bridge on the River Kwai, madness, madness. And that's why Toshiaki Endo and anybody who gets behind the 2020 No Olympics in Tokyo are this week's None Nuts of the Week. We are rapidly coming up on 2020, when Prime Minister Shinzo Abebe's lies to the International Olympics Committee comes home to roost with the radioactive Tokyo Olympics. That's when they're supposed to take place. You want to hear a Num Nuts? Here's just one sample from episode number 342, January 9, 2018. Ah, uh, TEPCO. Is there no end to your numnutsery? Fukushima's power operator is now hoping to double the number of visitors to its tsunami-ravaged facilities by 2020 and is seeking to use the Olympic spotlight to clean up the region's image. Not the region, just the image. They're accepting requests for tours of the radioactive area from groups of local residents. Oh, just what they need, more radiation. Embassy officials and school students 
children are more vulnerable to radiation than adults. It is not, however, accepting requests from individuals, possibly because one of them might turn out to be me. According to Takahiro Kimoto, a TEPCO official, our objective is not to send a message saying it's safe, it's secure. It's more important for us to have people watch what's really going on without a prejudiced eye. The inspections will help revitalize the region and reduce reputational damage. Reputational damage, not environmental human genetic DNA damage. Despite the fact that they admit that levels of radiation in areas around the three melted-down reactors remain extremely high, Fukushima will stage Olympic baseball and softball matches as part of Japan's effort to regenerate the area. But Daisuke Hirose, a plant official, said, As the initial stages of decommissioning the plant draw to a close, the biggest challenge is a protracted battle against high radiation. And yet... TEPCO is planning to double the number of visitors to the site to 20,000 by 2020. Isn't that alliterative? Isn't that numbnuts? And that's why TEPCO, yet again for a record-breaking number of times, you are this week's Numbnuts of the Week! That was almost exactly one year ago. Since then, we have learned that, yes, Fukushima will be the site of baseball and softball games. World-class surfers will compete for the first time off the beach at Chiba, which is one of the areas of the ocean that has been considered too contaminated by radiation for fishing. Elite athletes will be housed in the J Village, originally the National Soccer Training Center in Fukushima Prefecture that, after March 11, 2011, became housing for those who worked on the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster for seven years. Makes you wonder what kind of radioactive particles might have been dragged in on shoes or clothing and might still be lurking in the corners, eh? But wait, there's more. The Olympic torch relay will begin in Fukushima on March 26, 2020. And as we've just learned as this episode is being recorded, to further the illusion that Fukushima is safe and there's nothing to fear from all that nasty radiation... The Olympic torches will be made out of recycled aluminum from temporary housing in Fukushima, which people are being forced out of to be forced back into their homes in order to create the illusion that these radioactive towns the government wants them to return to are safe. It's really convoluted. Japan, with its partner in nuclear crimes, TEPCO, is also laying down a smokescreen to make it appear that all is well in Fukushima itself, so no one need be concerned about them forcing former residents to move back, putting the children and thus the future generations at risk from radiation. Here's another example from Nuclear Hot Seat 374 on August 21st. On Sunday, August 18, Haragama Obama Beach in Soma City, Fukushima Prefecture, was opened to the public. A ritual was held to pray for safety before the beach was officially declared open, which seems like a good idea considering its proximity to the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear facility and all of that becquerel-laden water that TEPCO wants to dump into the Pacific. Four beaches in Fukushima Prefecture have reopened since the disaster, but the remaining 14 beaches remain closed in the aftermath of the nuclear accident and local officials have decided some of them will remain closed permanently. So if there's no danger, 
Why are 14 beaches closed and possibly remaining closed permanently? And you know this is all about the image of Japan in advance of the Tokyo Olympics. And that's why whatever powers that be in Japan decided to open up that beach, you are this week's None That's Out of the Week. Japan and TEPCO can't forget doing whatever it takes to get those tourists with their tourist dollars and yen and euros and all the rest into the country for the Olympics. From Nuclear Hot Seat 351, March 13, 2018. Ah, TEPCO. Is there no end to your numbnutsery? Fukushima's power operator is now hoping to double the number of visitors to its tsunami-ravaged facilities by 2020 and is seeking to use the Olympic spotlight to clean up the region's image. Not the region, just the image. They're accepting requests for tours of the radioactive area from groups of local residents. Oh, just what they need, more radiation embassy officials, and school students. Children are more vulnerable to radiation than adults. It is not, however, accepting requests from individuals, possibly because one of them might turn out to be me. According to Takahiro Kimoto, a TEPCO official, our objective is not to send a message saying it's safe, it's secure. It's more important for us to have people watch what's really going on without a prejudiced eye. The inspections will help revitalize the region and reduce reputational damage. Reputational damage, not environmental human genetic DNA damage. Despite the fact that they admit that levels of radiation in areas around the three melted-down reactors remain extremely high, Fukushima will stage Olympic baseball and softball matches as part of Japan's effort to regenerate the area. But Daisuke Hirose, a plant official, said, As the initial stages of decommissioning the plant draw to a close, the biggest challenge is a protracted battle against high radiation. And yet, TEPCO is planning to double the number of visitors to the site to 20,000 by 2020. Isn't that alliterative? Isn't that numbnuts? And that's why TEPCO, yet again for a record-breaking number of times, you are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, numbnuts of the week. As for those tourists, they're pretty numbnuts themselves. In a bid to rebuild its tourism industry, travel firms in Japan have been offering trips to towns in Fukushima Prefecture the area most affected by the 2011 9.1 magnitude earthquake and resulting tsunami and, of course, the lingering nuclear disaster at Fukushima Daiichi. But now, 26 warning signs simply stating no entry have been placed along a stretch of National Road 114, which connects Fukushima and Namie. Why, you might ask? Tourists have been getting out of their cars and posing for selfies inside the Fukushima nuclear disaster zone, ignoring radiation warnings, so they have to actually be told, don't do it. No word if they get off with a warning, a ticket, or a radiation exposure badge. And that's why you stupid tourists in Fukushima for being there in the first place, let alone getting out of your cars with all that radiation. You are this week's Numbnuts of the Week. We'll continue with Numbnuts of the Year in just a moment, but first, someone recently said to me, 
Did you know that Nuclear Hot Seat is the world's longest continuously running weekly program devoted exclusively to nuclear issues? I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but as the show is now in its eighth year, to the best of my knowledge, that statement is accurate. Then I was asked, how do you do it? And I replied, as the Beatles might, with a little help from my friends. Those friends, meaning you, the listeners, variously provide information, links, tech support when I get hung up on digital problems, a steady stream of girls and info corrections, all of which helps keep me in the full upright position and the show's content on an even keel. Some of you also help with the ever-crucial financial support of the show, which is necessary to keep the website up and running, support services to manage the enormous content, the various digital services and software needed, travel expenses to cover nuclear events, and a whole host of other bills. The bottom line is that in order to keep Nuclear Hot Seat up and running, we need your financial support. You've learned to count on Nuclear Hot Seat to get into nuclear stories with facts, continuity, and context that you rarely, if ever, get from mainstream media. If having this information every week helps you understand what's going on nuclear-wise, we need your help to keep doing it. Don't think, Wow, that's a great idea. Someone should do that, or maybe I'll do that sometime. Help us right now to keep bringing you the nuclear stories that matter every week. You can make a donation of any size by going to NuclearHotSeat.com and clicking on the big red Donate button. And for those of you who want to make a big difference on a budget, help us out a little at a time. On the website, there's a big green Donate button that allows you to quickly set up a recurring donation of just $5 a month the same as a cup of really good coffee. Please do what you can to help Nuclear Hot Seat keep going as we search out and share the nuclear information that helps you understand things that the nuclear industry would rather you not know about. Whatever you can do to help, you have my gratitude. Back to Nuclear Hot Seat's Numbnuts of the Year special. The United States has its own brand of nuclear insanity. Let's start with some of our so-called protective agencies, As a stand-up comedian might say, take the NRC, please. From Nuclear Hot Seat 350 on March 16, 2018. When last week's winter storm bomb cyclone Riley barreled down on New England, bringing with it massive flooding and killer winds, did the Nuclear Regulatory Agency take the prudent path and preemptively shut down the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station in Plymouth, Massachusetts at the foot of Cape Cod? Don't be ridiculous! Not only did they not shut down Pilgrim, which the NRC readily admits is one of the three worst-run nuclear reactors in the country, and that experienced a dangerous forced shutdown during January's winter Hurricane Grayson, but the NRC went MIA, leaving behind a recorded message saying, the NRC is closed for inclement weather. So let's get this straight. The regulators were called on account of rain, but the dangerous substandard nuclear reactor wasn't? Ah, but that meant that the NRC did not have to issue event or status reports about what might be going wrong. Fingers in the ears, eyes closed, la 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 la, we can't see it, we can't hear it. No responsibility. Well, you squeaked by on that one by the skin of your teeth, guys. And that's why, once again, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is this week's Numbnuts of the Week. 
The NRC also did not shut down Pilgrim in advance of a forced shutdown during winter storm Grayson and realize that in the event of a nuclear emergency during a winter storm or hurricane, access would be impeded and evacuation of the area would be impossible due to storm conditions. But hey, they're so confident of the worst-run nuclear reactor in the country, they're letting owner-operator energy get away with murder. And hopefully, that's just a metaphor. From episode number 369, on July 17th, Energy Corporation, the slumlord owners of Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station in Plymouth, Massachusetts, is looking to eliminate the 10-mile emergency planning zone around the reactor less than a year after it powers down for the final time, shrinking the radius under Energy's protection to its property line. Because, of course, we all know that when radiation spews out from spent fuel pools or elsewhere, that they always look at the fence line and go, oops, can't cross that, it wouldn't be nice. The facility is on track to permanently shut down by June 1, 2019, and Entergy submitted its request to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission for an exemption to begin, wait for it, April 1, 2020. That's right, April Fool's Day. It's a joke, right? Right? Tell me it's a joke. And what are Entergy's said reasons for wanting such an exclusion from emergency planning? They say the requirements are expensive and unnecessary. Well, thanks for letting the people on the Cape and in Plymouth and in Boston and potentially all up and down the eastern seaboard know that they and their lives and their health and their safety just don't matter because, hey, Energy shareholders must be given their pound of flesh, even if it's radioactive. And that's why, Energy, you scummy corporation, you are this week's None That's Out of the Week. Then there's the Department of Energy. When there was enormous community pushback against the opening of the so-called wildlife preserve surrounding a nuclear superfund site at Rocky Flats outside of Boulder, Colorado, DOE understood the problem and knew exactly what to do. Not. Episode 371 from July 31st. At Rocky Flats near Boulder, Colorado, site of a former atomic weapons manufacturing site known to be radioactively contaminated with plutonium. Neighborhood citizen activists and genuine experts continue the pressure against having it opened as a wildlife refuge and a human recreational area. The Department of Energy has had taxpayer money allocated by Congress to continue to clean up any leftover plutonium contamination, And that includes testing the wildlife area for radiation levels. So what has DOE done? First, they gave the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service $8.3 million of those funds so it can build a visitor center. That's right, folks. Ignore the radiation. Come on down. Now, DOE has taken a bold new step on behalf of people and the environment. They've hired a PR firm to convince communities near Rocky Flats that they are safe from leftover plutonium contamination, and there, there, Missy, don't worry your pretty little head about it. That's right. Instead of using taxpayer money to actually fully 
test the former buffer zone turned refuge land to ensure that it is truly safe in all areas that the public will access to frolic upon, they've hired the PR firm Daniel J. Edelman of Chicago at $400,000 for one year, just one year, to trumpet their agenda. Hey, DOE, if the area is genuinely safe, like you say, why not apply that money to testing to prove its safety? You wouldn't need a PR firm then. You would need to spend that $400,000 if you've done your job correctly in the first place. If nothing is wrong at Rocky Flats and everything is A-OK, why spend all that money to spin it? Or maybe... Is there something you don't want us to know, don't want us to look at, like all the information local resident activists have discovered about contamination levels, plutonium in the dust that does not respect fences and wafts over into high-end housing developments just across the street? Hey, DOE, what are you trying to hide with this PR campaign? And what in the world? makes you think it's money well spent when even local mainstream media, thank you former classmate of mine Rick Salinger of CBS Denver, are on to your shenanigans. Our tax dollars at work. Not. All of which is why Department of Energy and all your little spin doctors at the PR firm Daniel J. Edelman of Chicago, you are this week's None That's Out of the Week. DOE also understands the importance of truth in advertising and has been using words, words, words to subvert public concern about highly radioactive nuclear waste. On June 12, episode 364, we learned this. What's in a name? As Shakespeare said, as Shakespeare wrote, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, and the stink of nuclear will not go away no matter what we call it. The Department of Energy is seeking public comment on a proposal to relabel, reclassify, rename the Hanford nuclear site's highly radioactive tank waste so that it will not have to comply with the time-consuming requirements of treating and disposing of the remaining waste in a legally compliant and protective manner. Right, nothing protects us from the dangers of nuclear waste better than a name change. This proposed declassification of some 66,000 gallons of high-level radioactive waste residue, and call it, get this, waste incidental to reprocessing, despite the fact that it contains plutonium concentrates 12 to 57 times greater than the plutonium disposal rate set by Department of Energy and the EPA. If they get this reclassification, they will be allowed to dump cement or grout on top of the waste and abandon it in place forever. Grout does not stop radiation from leaking from nuclear waste. And that is why, Department of Energy, you are, once again, this week's None That's Out of the Week. Think you can trust the U.S. military when it comes to nuclear matters? Don't be ridiculous. Not when they're on high alert. Not one but two stories illustrate this particular aspect of nuclear numnutsery. First, from Nuclear Hot Seat 362 on May 29th. 
As if the international nuclear warhead dance between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump, they're meeting, they're not meeting, they're meeting, they're not meeting, sister, daughter, sister, daughter. As if that's not scary enough, now comes word that Air Force records obtained by the Associated Press show that service members entrusted with guarding nuclear missiles bought distributed, and used the hallucinogen LSD as well as other mind-altering illegal drugs. The service members accused of involvement in what is being called the LSD ring were from the 90th Missile Wing, which operates one-third of the 400 Minuteman III missiles that stand on alert 24-7 in underground silos scattered across the northern Great Plains. Ooh, look at that pretty switch and all those blinking colors. Documents obtained by the AP over the past two years through the Freedom of Information Act tell a tale of off-duty use of LSD, cocaine, and other drugs in 2015 and 2016 by airmen who were supposed to be held to strict behavioral standards because of their role in securing the nuclear weapons. How did they manage under the influence? Airman First Class Tommy N. Ashworth said, I felt paranoia, panic for hours after taking a hit of acid. Airman Basic Kyle S. Morrison acknowledged at his court-martial that under the influence of LSD, he could not have responded if recalled to duty in a nuclear security emergency. And one airman was quoted as exclaiming mid-trip, I'm dying, followed by, when is this going to end? Others said they enjoyed the drug, but still, you're in charge of nuclear weapons. That's no time to be hippie tripping out, guys. And even if you did do it off hours, have you never heard of a flashback? LSD had been showing up so infrequently in drug tests across the military that in December of 2006, the Pentagon eliminated LSD screening from standard drug testing procedures. Well, you sure got that one wrong. And for deja vu all over again, here's a real nuclear flashback from November 13 and episode number 386. Fourteen sailors from the nuclear reactor department of the aircraft carrier Ronald Reagan faced disciplinary action in connection with LSD abuse. This was confirmed by Navy officials earlier this week. The charges include using, possessing, and trafficking in the drug from January to February of this year. Can't you just see them in the nuclear reactor department? Oh, wow, man. Look at those blinking lights. I wonder what this one does. Can you say human error? And that's this week's None That's Out of the Week. Now, this has been very USA-centric and Japan-centric, but the rest of the world is not without its own numnutsery. In the United Kingdom, they are burying high-level radioactive waste under national parks and dumping radioactive mud only three miles off the coast of Cardiff in Wales. In France, they're still trying to run nukes despite learning that replacement parts from French manufacturer Areva are defective. They fail. You don't want failing parts in a nuclear reactor, but hey, they're French. They shrug and they move on. Sorry, Hervé. 
The good news in the world is that the United Nations has passed a treaty for the abolition of nuclear weapons as spearheaded by the International Campaign for the Abolition of Nuclear Weapons. They did it. They're getting it approved by countries around the world. So why, tell me, why is Japan, the one country that has experienced the terror of nuclear bombs being used against them, refusing to sign the ICANN Treaty or even consider it, and then there's the nuclear industry's own push to get approval for small modular reactors, the little tinker toys, and Lego-like nuclear reactors of the future with unproven technology, no working models, no proof that they will work, too long a timeline before they can even be put online, let alone doing anything, ultimately, to help with global warming. It's not a possibility. All you have to do is crunch the numbers, which we've done with Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds Energy Education several times. Most notably, on nuclear hot seat number 338 from December 13, 2017. So with all the myriad reasons for not allowing nuclear to move forward and for us to really put pedal to the metal to figure out how to clean up the mess that has already been started, now is the perfect time to let you know about this year's Numbnuts of the Year from Nuclear Hot Seat for 2018. And it is... In truth, the majority of most week's Nuclear Hot Seat can be labeled Numbnuts, as this is a technology and an industry that in most times seems like it's run by the inmates of the asylum. Which leads us to Numbnuts of the Year! American government on all levels. From small towns looking for lots of jobs and a tax base, to a national defense policy built on bombs, bombs, and more bombs, the amount of our government's nuclear ignorance, boneheadedness, and short-sightedness boggles the imagination. State governments, including New York, Illinois, and now Connecticut, are granting huge subsidies which are meant to promote genuinely clean, green, renewable energy sources like solar and wind. They're giving it to nuclear to shore up failing, aging, decrepit nuclear reactors under the lie that these disasters in waiting are carbon neutral, which they are not when you look at their dirty radioactive footprint from uranium mining to manufacture and transport to building reactors Decommissioning reactors and WTF are they supposed to do about the high-level radioactive waste that's left over? You know, I always thought that in capitalism, if a company or enterprise could not manage to keep itself afloat financially, it declared bankruptcy, went under, and made way for the next technology. Industries and companies do have a life cycle, you know. I mean, think what it would have been like if, in the wake of the automobile revolution, our government had decided to underwrite the buggy whip industry. That's what they're doing here. Underwriting a dangerous, dirty, outmoded energy generation system that has the potential to poison us all. Doesn't even need a big accident. Just a regular, allowable releases. Thanks, NRC, of radiation into the air and groundwater. To say nothing of the risk of terrorists going into the spent fuel pool or things just degrading into, gee, sorry, didn't want to do that, but, well, we'll all just have to live with it, or not. Nationally, 
the Trump administration has been a nuclear disaster in the making on all fronts. Just a few examples. High-level radioactive waste, expensive and dangerous to store? Rename it low-level waste and treat it accordingly. Damn the science and full speed ahead. And that's what they're attempting to do. No room for more waste in the one underground facility in the country meant for low-level waste? The WIP site, Waste Isolation Pilot Plant near Carlsbad? Reconfigure how space is measured and keep cramming it in. Uranium mining not profitable because there's an international glut of the stuff? Smack foreign uranium imports with a heavy tariff, artificially inflating uranium prices here in the U.S., and then auction off big chunks of Bear Ears and Escalante National Monuments to uranium mining and fracking interests. I mean, all that land was just sitting there doing nothing. What's the big deal? And for reasons too insane to figure out, withdraw from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, the INF, a 1987 agreement between the United States and the Soviet Union, which eliminated both countries' intermediate-range and shorter-range missiles, a Reagan-Gorbachev-brokered agreement, the loss of which makes the world significantly less safe. And as the pressure mounts on Donald Trump, with a Democratic majority in the House of Representatives just about to be seated, the Mueller investigation about to reveal its findings, and the pressure on the president mounting, remember, he's still the only person in the world with unlimited, uncontested, unilateral ability to launch a nuclear bomb anywhere in the world at any time, and no one can legally stop him. In truth, as I said in the beginning, the entire nuclear industry is numbnuts, and it keeps painting us into a tighter and tighter corner, pretending they have solutions when thus far all they have are more and greater and longer-lasting problems and the steps that could be taken to lessen the dangers and start the process of turning things around are not only not taken, they are blocked by forces that think more of the bottom line and shareholder benefits than the future. So governments of the United States on all levels, from city to state to federal, you who support nuclear, shore up this deserves-to-die industry, ignore the consequences, and pretend that everything is A-OK, -okay. you are this year's and every year's nuclear hot seat numbnuts of the year. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat's year-end special, Numbnuts of the Year, for Tuesday, January 1st, 2019. A big shout-out to all of you who help make Nuclear Hot Seat happen every week throughout the year. Information sources Hervé Courtois, Sean Arclight, and Christina McPherson of Nuclear-News.net. The mystery woman or man, nobody knows for certain, who posts at miningawareness.wordpress.com. It's not just awareness of mining, like uranium mining, but it's about digging into information and coming to awareness. It's an excellent footnoted source, and if you haven't subscribed to their daily email, you're missing a lot of great information. I want to thank Erica Gray for posting the NRC accident reports and giving us perspective on it. Nancy Faust and Simply Info for explaining tech and especially Fukushima tech so that normal people can understand what it means. 
Beverly Findlay-Kaneko, for her invaluable assistance and actual partnership in putting together Voices from Japan every year for the Fukushima anniversary. To all of the activists around the world who are battling wherever they are against the nuclear insanity in their own backyards. Listeners who regularly send me reports, updates, links, and story ideas. I don't have your permission to use your names here, but you know who you are. The terrific crew that posts Nuclear Hot Seat on Facebook every week and keeps me out of Facebook jail, coordinated by Tara Johnson-Douglas. We're always looking for people to help expand our reach, so if you'd like to join them, they're a great group of people, let me know by email, info at nuclearhotseat.com. It will only take you a few minutes once a week, and it will be a great help to me. I'm also looking to expand our social media presence, so if you can help get Nuclear Hot Seat on Twitter, Snapchat, or any of the other platforms, send me that email and let's talk. And a special thanks to all of you who donate to help support the show. Be it an occasional donation, one-time help, or a $5 monthly donation, you're the ones who keep the gas in the engine and oil in the rest of it so that Nuclear Hot Seat continues to work. Without your help, we would not be here every week. My goal this year expand our network of community broadcast stations. So if you know of one in your community that might be interested in carrying Nuclear Hot Seat, send me an email at info at nuclearhotseat.com and I'll follow through with them. Theme music was written by me, but my deep thanks to the professional musicians who brought it to life. It was sung by Marilee Weber. She also did the arrangement. The accompaniment was by John Barnard, and it was recorded at Winslow Court Studio in Hollywood. And remember, if you have a story lead, a hot tip, a suggestion of someone to interview, or wish to join our ever-expanding group of people who help us get Nuclear Hot Seat into the world, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2019, Libby Halevi and Heartistry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed as long as proper attribution is provided. And if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, delivered with as much humor as possible, take a moment to send a donation to NuclearHotSeat.com. This is Libby Halevi of Heart History Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you once again that, as Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed. It's the only thing that ever has. There you go. You have just had your nuclear wake-up call. So do not go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat. What have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat. The corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.